Hello and welcome to another episode of Cyberspeak with InfoSec, the weekly podcast where industry thought leaders share their knowledge and experiences in order to help us all stay one step ahead of the bad guys. Today we're talking about contact centers. No matter how automated they become, industries like healthcare, insurance, and financial services require person-to-person contact with the outside world. Because contact centers process and store a host of personally identifiable information, PII, including payment card data and social security numbers, hackers are racing to exploit these information-rich targets using both old and new attack techniques to breach and compromise consumers and organizations of all sizes. Ben Rafferty, Chief Innovation Officer at Semaphone, is here to tell us how his company is currently providing expertise on the things organizations that require contact centers can do to better protect sensitive customer information from insider and external threats. Ben Rafferty is responsible for heading up product innovation at Semaphone, advising on new product developments and new markets and technologies to facilitate customer compliance programs. Ben has been responsible for the deployment of Semaphone's award-winning solutions and for the overall management of the company's carrier cloud and cloud offering, as well as gaining and maintaining Semaphone's own PCI DSS compliance status and associated service provider listings. Ben, thank you very much for being here today. Well, you're very welcome. That sounds far more impressive than I was expecting. <laughs> we, we like to roll out the red carpet here at Cyberspeak. Thank you. Uh, so let's start with the, uh, uh, the usual um, you know, origin story. How did you first get started in cybersecurity? What interested you about the field? Actually, um, I didn't start in cybersecurity. I started in uh, telephony. So I oh, okay. uh, worked in, um, uh, com- in uh, speech recognition, and I was doing speech recognition for hospitals in the UK, and um, bizarrely also cinemas. And uh, so we, were, we had probably one of the biggest... Um, uh, speech recognition platforms in, in Europe at the time. So big, in fact, we were piping uh, speech minutes under the under the ocean uh, for, for the US wow. um, and providing recognition. And uh, what happened was we 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 were doing everything fully automated. And we get to the point of the transaction, and we would happily use credit card data to uh, to collect credit card data. And um, this uh, this legislation came along, rather than legislation, this this this. Uh, Requirement from the, the card industry, payment card industry, for uh, for cardholder data to be secure, called the the DSS or the Data Security Standard, okay. and uh, it meant that I had to very quickly um, get to grips with uh, ensuring the data was secure and uh, how it was handled and processed. But I came across uh, Semaphone as a as a startup, and um, when I when I when I received a quote for my for my software. Um, it was not insurmountable. It was quite a, quite a large number, but it was several times less than um, my actual overall program that, that, that needed to be run. Okay. Uh, and rather than run with the software, I, I applied for the job. Uh, unfortunately for me, my one of the, the chief exec, uh, uh, Tim, knew the chief exec where I was and knew that he'd be upset if he if I left, and so he snapped me straight up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so I had a, I had a, I had a, a, a cybersecurity background in, in learning what the data security standard was, and very quickly it was, I found it to be fascinating. And uh, uh, I also I kind of understood uh, quite quickly um, from some of the background stuff that I'd done in, in infosec uh, governance at ISO twenty seven thousand and one at the time uh, that you know you really need to understand what data you're holding, why you're holding it in the first place what you're doing to protect it, how you're protecting it, where the keys are, if the kingdom are. Um, and so from, from there, it really, um, really mushroomed out. Hmm. 
so um, that's interesting. It's, basically, you 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 learned cybersecurity to solve one problem, and then decided to uh, that that was that was even more interesting than than. Well, that was it, absolutely. And, and uh, everybody's got the same problem. You know, everyone, I think, the best thing that anyone can say at the moment is that they're not being breached at this time properly. Right. Right. Can really say that they're not that they're not under attack at any one yeah. time. Yeah, there's 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 no one hundred percent certainty on that. So uh, today's topic is specifically security issues with regards to contact centers. So as we uh, drill deep into this, let's start with defining our terms. What do we mean when we say contact center? Is this? I mean, you were talking about uh, tele, you know your background telephony and stuff. Is this just the phone number that connects the organization with the general public? Does it include the customer database, or is it more extensive than that? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. The um. Uh, it is far more than a, than a phone line into a contact center. Okay. Um, when you've got kind of 10 agents, 1,000 agents, 10,000 agents, uh, you've got distributed, load balanced um, uh, software that is, that is queuing calls and identifying the right kind of agent for the call. You've got the, the applications that the, the agents are using, the desktop environment, the network. They might have CCTV in there. Um, a contact center is actually a very large um, undertaking because you've got real-time contact with your customers that needs to be uh, kind of with a severely high uptime availability. Um, and unlike a, something like um, a, a website where you want people to self-serve, you are uh, typically in a, in a contact center dealing with the most complex transactions, issues, challenges in the in the customer journey. So. Uh, it, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of information coming to to the fingertips of an agent, um, including kind of PII that you, you've, you've highlighted dates of birth and um, social security numbers in the US. Uh, and um, I think the other point is that uh, certainly um, whilst we've got the payment security uh, payment card industries data security standards in place, there's lots of other legislation um, and other uh, initiatives going on. So in the UK, we've had chip and pin. For more than 10 years and in the US you guys have all got chip out there. There's standards for the for the retail cause, uh, there's point-to-point -point encryption standards out there now. This has all meant that um, cyber, cyber criminals will always kind of focus on the, the path of least resistance and as these um, historically weak channels have become more and more secure uh, they are moving into the less secure areas or the more exploitable areas uh, like contact centers. Hmm. Uh, so what, what are, apart from the obvious ones like credit card numbers, what are some of the types of data that are being sought when attacking a contact center? It's sometimes it's, it's, sometimes it's uh, data and sometimes it's access. You, you can, we could probably roll off, you know, date of birth, social security numbers, driving license, policy IDs, um, premiums, bank accounts, you know, the list would, would go on and on. But actually, um, what we see—I don't know if you guys have come across uh, phishing. Um, so you know, phishing over an email. Phishing yeah. is voice phishing, and it's, it's this social engineering attack whereby uh, you might have a team of attackers phoning a contact center. And this is this is really uh, when you've got a contact center of you know, five, ten thousand agents. And what you want to do is you want to make a series of incremental calls. Where you're just gaining a little bit of access each time, or you're gleaning a piece of information, or you've you've you managed to, to get hold of the date of birth, and so you can reset a, a phone number, and then you use the next one to say, "Oh, could you send me a PIN request to my new phone number?" Uh, but obviously, each agent only sees one part of the problem, and you have these incremental attacks, very effectively um, uh, undertaken on an estate of many thousands of, of agents, 
um, to get access to to uh, to control the account, let, let alone get hold of the data from it. So it's not necessarily like an out and out breach. You're, these, they're, they're playing a long game here. You're getting a little bit from here, a little bit from there. And so any, any of the sort of call center employees don't necessarily know that they've, you know, given another piece to the puzzle or something. Yeah, so this is, I mean, if we were talking about um, uh, classical uh, cybersecurity, we would talk about snowballing privileges. Right. It's exactly that technique, but used over a series of phone calls. Uh, so with so many types of potentially compromised types of PII and sensitive data in contact centers, uh, what are some of the uh, average types of security measures that organizations put in place to protect them? Obviously, we're going to be talking about how you know, it's not enough or the other mm -hmm. things need to happen. But what um, do most call, I mean, contact centers have, uh, you know, uh, any kind of security, um, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, see, I see lots lots and lots of different um, uh, it's usually down to attitude towards security in the contact center from the most kind of sincere approach to security where it's almost like an airport security uh, as you get in and there's locker rooms and CCTV. Right. There's no, con the contact center has no paper and pens, it's whiteboards and, and, and dry wipes. You can't use the printer without a pin code. You've got no access to social media, email, no mobile phones, no yeah. personal communications. Yeah, so that's right at the kind of Fort Knox uh, of, we would call it a white room type environment, all the way down to where people are putting, they put security in thinking that they're, they're doing the right thing. But for example, the, the one I, I talk about is, uh, we all know what uh, dual factor authentication is when you uh, log on to a, a machine. So you might put dual factor authentication in for your agents, but in doing so, all you're doing is you're securing access to those systems to agents. And if you've got, um, 10,000 agents or you've got uh, you know, gig economy workers or people who, who are doing seasonal um, variation support, things like Black Friday. And um, have you done your background research or are you just giving dual factor authentication to a, to a, uh, uh, someone who's going to compromise you? Yeah. Um, so are there other methods apart from social engineering and, and phishing, the, like physical and technical uh, methods that thieves and fraudsters are using to try and gain access to PIA and contact centers? Yeah, they, they, they will test typically the processes that are in place. They will try and escalate privileges. Uh, I think we, we, we covered that already. Um, they will also try to, uh, the, the, the technical attacks are far harder now, um, where you collar, collar phone lines and try and tap out or tee in or take a mirror off a, off a, off a port. Um, so all of the, all of the uh, standard uh, attacks that you would expect on an estate are in play, but also you've got this much larger um, social engineering attack where you've not just got the individuals but you've got the individual um, following a process and attacking that process at its weak points is also um, very very fruitful as well yeah yeah so with um, uh, you know classical fishing social engineering and stuff being such a sort of obvious point of entry and as you said because contact centers tend to have high turnover or you know temporary employees uh, what are your recommendations in terms of like a security awareness strategy for for contact centers to sort of keep them, you know, watching out for this kind of thing? Yeah, so there's there's lots of things you should do. Everyone everyone always leaps straight into training, and I think that's a, that's that's very very apt, and and actually that's good if you're training what you um, deem to be a, a trustworthy agent or agent force. Mm -hmm. If if you're providing training to someone who's going to compromise you anyway, then then it's without value and probably you're teaching them how to circumvent your own escalation paths in, in right. processes. Mm -hmm. um, 
the um, so I, I kind of say training. Yes, a good thing to have, and probably will reduce the uh, you know the the accidental slippages and the accidental uh, folk, and, and maybe test people's trustworthiness. I think that's a, that's a good thing to do when you've got when you've got you know people who you can trust, and making sure that you can remove as much opportunity for, for mistakes as, as possible. Um, but if you've got fraudulent insider attacks, um, or you've got you know um, uh, it, when when you when you are uh, for example, um, hiring for ethical hackers um, who are really, really quite uh, scarce uh, a resource out there. We, we internally, we we are aware of kind of the too good to be true factor. If we, if someone pitches up out of the blue with a perfect record, either, you know, right at the right price, yep. with the right yep. skill set, um, we kind of have to th- make sure you know we're not allowing someone in with the keys of the kings and make sure you've got your background checks make sure not only have you done your background checks and your security yeah. checks have you done a fraud check have you said make sure that they've got two uh, you know they, they haven't got too much money you have to wonder where it came from or have they got too little money and had so many uh, you know uh, we call it ccj in the uk but so many uh, judgments against them that actually they, they could be uh, working nefariously or could be a future threat for um uh, for bribery, so um, you really do your background checks thoroughly, and I think the final thing that's really easy to do, um, and should probably, you know, doesn't doesn't need software to do that. But if you are, if you have an agent and your agent is talking to your customer, your agent shouldn't have access to all customer data. They should have access to one customer's data at the point where it's relevant to do so. And after a successful ID and V checks, so and not just IDing them, but verifying that the IDs who that they say they are, and only when that agent has sat, has been satisfied or the, the process satisfies access, um, the agent can then see that one customer uh, uh, record or data or, or data point, whatever it is that, that, that's being interacted. I think that's very simple, very straightforward, and, and uh, is isn't enforced enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Is that, I mean, uh, you know, changing over to a system like that where you only have access to one, you know, uh, client account at a time, is that, you know, sort of an in, in, in a box kind of thing that you can implement or does that require, you know, uh, several no, security think, people to. I think this, this is a, this is a business systems uh, thing. So this is probably something that banks have done for a long time where, uh, you, you know, you have to make sure that you, you pass your um, customer uh, ID and V check, but actually all you're doing is ensuring that you block out your, your free for all access, or um, and um, just make sure that your business systems are, are are set up to respond in that order. I don't think you need to buy anything out of the box to do that. I think this is a simple business process thing that you you make sure that you've uh, verified that you have in place. Okay. Yeah. You're flipping the right switches. Um, so, um, what are some, uh, skills or techniques that lawful contact center employees could utilize to detect and stop insider threats? Like, um, you know, obviously you know, the old phrase, if you see something, say something, but like what red flags, you know, should employees be looking for if you're like, boy, that, you know, that guy sure seems to like his job or he sure likes to <laughs> ask, you know, yeah. ask a lot of, uh, you know, leading questions or whatever, but you know, is there, you know, because there's so much with insider threats, is there also sort of insider defense? That's a, that's a great, great, um, great point. The um, so at Semaphone, we have a, a solution that is uh, collecting uh, credit card data using DTMF digits. When you get to the point of payment, you um, uh, you, you the caller presses the, the the keypad on their phone, and the, the corresponding digits get passed through our system, but they're not on the side and flatten the tones and we obfuscate the, the, the data from, from okay. the contact center. 
the reason I talk about that is actually because what we're trying to do is prevent data being accessed by the agent. Even if you've got a, um, an insider threat, uh, if you're not holding data or unnecessary data, and this, is, this has been true in, in, certainly in the UK with GDPR, I'm certain it's going to become uh, more uh, prevalent in the US with the California um, Privacy Act, which is enacted in 2020. Yeah. That you, you, you need to understand the data that you've got. You need to um, uh, you know, assess it from a, from a, a threat level. You know, what, what kind of um, risk are you exposing yourself by holding it? Is it necessary to hold it? Why haven't you tokenized it if you don't need it? Why don't you just turn it into metadata if you don't care about the individual, you just care about the interaction? So the, the point I'd make is, is that, um, uh, and I'll probably make it over and over again, you can't hack what you can't hold. And, and this is where tokenization uh, is, a, is a really key thing where you've, you've got tokens for your, for your PII or, or data points that actually is useless if it's exposed or, or, or ripped off and essentially get into the cupboard and it's bare. Yeah, so um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. What are, what are your thoughts on on GDPR and or, you know, California's privacy law in terms of how contact centers are going to be run in the future? What do you, what do you think, you know, are there, I assume it's going to be mostly sort of positive changes, but what are, what are some of the, uh, the issues that could come up as well? No, I, I, I well, first of all, I think they're both um, fantastic and long overdue. And actually I, I um, yeah. reviewed the, uh, the act um, uh, last year and I was really impressed by the, um, by the standard that the, the act in California yeah. in particular had set. And I really like some of the things it's got in there around um, uh, juvenile data as well with, with uh, you know, the kind of data you can hold on, 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 uh, on minors. Right. I think that's, I think superb. What, what it's meant though, is certainly for GDPR in the UK is that people have had to actually put a business plan in place to look at the data that they hold, give a good reason to hold it, remove it. I think it's been, uh, fantastic for those people who've, who've realised that they may have whole tranches of data that they don't need or don't use or, or could just simply wash with a DFD anonymization tool uh, or anonymization tool with a, with a reverse capability. Um, so uh, they then talk about training the agents on what happens if there's a breach, uh, where the clear escalation points are. So I think it should bring a lot of robustness to contact centers and people, certainly people who not necessarily operate just the telephony, but people who support business systems for the, for the agents um, all have to uh, get themselves aligned and, and realize that you know, the, the world has changed. People, uh, consumers care deeply about how their data is handled and how it's mishandled. Yeah. So um, going back to sort of insider defense and stuff, if you, uh, you say, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about sort of um, at the interpersonal level, but if you are like a newly hired CISO tech, mm. tackle, you know, tasked with defending your contact center, what are some uh, top down policies you could implement to make it more secure? Um, and it was a CISO. So if I came in and it was, it was a real mess, I mean, the first thing would be my, my data review. I would always start okay. with a, with a, uh, a risk analysis from the data. Um, I think uh, from a technology perspective as a CISO, I would use something like the dread scoring system uh, from my technical estate. I do, so I don't know if you know about dread scoring, but you, you, you take your data points on what you think is a vulnerability okay. and you do you know, discoverability, reproducibility, exploitability, mm. um, the access uh, that it could be called, uh, to get to it and then the, um, the damage that it could cause. And you get a really good weighted score at the back end so you can start to prioritize your, your, um, your technical estate. Um, and then I would look at the training plan and the, the agents themselves. When were the, uh, when were the uh, 
background checks covered? Have any of them expired? Are they worth doing? What's the churn? How do we handle seasonal data, seasonal um, uh, seasonal um, trends, and how do we start for them? Um, I would uh, empower um, the people within the contact center to uh, to, to, to uh, workflow their own processes such that we've got the known escalation points and that we can um, very easily see the, the process from, from like a 50,000 foot view uh, and uh, where it could be simplified so we're handling less data. So there's lots of things that you would do and I think that would probably take me three to six months just to get that into place. Yeah. Um, depending on the aggression of the, of the business and uh, whether or not there'd been a breach, yeah, uh, right. the funding would allow me to do that faster or slower. Okay. Um, have you seen any uh, test cases of organizations who have revamped their security strategy to a, such an extent that the chances of having a data breach in the style been minimized or, or brought to near zero? Yeah, I, I mean, you, you're more than welcome to go and have a look at the, the Semaphone uh, website. And okay. uh, we've, got, we've got Amica on there. We've got a great case study of, of how they used our technology. Hmm. Um, we have seen uh, some people, um, because risk is all, always about uh, risk transferal, uh, risk reduction, risk removal. Um, you know, and you want to get to risk removal. Uh, and uh, what we've we found is because of because you're not holding data, uh, we've actually seen some of, some of our customers actually have a reduction in their cybersecurity policy because it's, the risk has been entirely removed. Right. Even if you're using a kind of tokenization approach, you've got a reduction approach there because that that, that tokenization still relates um, to the customer, and you can do some things that, that you know, pretending to be a merchant with that data. Right. Oh, so, um, okay. Good. So go. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, uh, I think the other thing is, uh, um, whilst security is, is one one aspect of this, the other is that these are businesses, um, and as they're businesses, they want to ensure that they've got a really good uh, customer experience, a really good customer journey. That it's frictionless. I'm sure everyone who, who, who's ever stood up an e-com website still scratches their heads to why they might have bailouts at a, at a checkout. Um, and, uh, now, is that down to, to it not being frictionless? Is it down to um, additional uh, billing for, for um, uh, transport of goods or services? Is it the wrong card types? Is it because they didn't support um, one of the, uh, the, the, the e-wallets that's being, being used? Right. Um, so you need to, to, to um, finally balance the security posture without making your customer jump to, through too many hoops or changing the experience too much. Well, that, that leads me to my next question here. On the other end of the phone line, um, what are some things that, that savvy customers can do to ensure that their data is being used properly and not, you know, falling into that, into use? Well, I can, tell, I can tell you. Postures, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I buy things uh, occasionally over the phone um, and I now don't read my credit card data out. And they say, oh, it's okay, you can email it to me. I, of course, I'm not going to email it to you. I'm not going to read it out over the phone. <laughs> I'm not going to email it to you. This isn't um, 2001 anymore. <laughs> no, that's right. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, consumers are, are generally more aware than they have been. I, I don't read my card data out anymore. Yeah. Um, I don't read my card data out in public places. I wouldn't dream of doing that. Um, right. I wouldn't dream of, uh, of, of doing it with an enterprise now. So um, uh, customers should you know, be, be, be aware. I think the other thing is, I mean, the big red flag for me is outbound dialing. So where you receive a call, there's absolutely no way I would provide my card data, ID and feed or otherwise, that um, I'd provide my card data to an outbound call. So, um, uh, you know, there's, there's, there are some very simple things that, that, that can be done. 
Okay. So um, what, what are some things that, you know, if, if you're looking at the website, you're sort of shopping around for a healthcare or insurance provider, like what are, you know, can you go into sort of like their terms and conditions or their, you know, privacy policy or whatever, what, what should you be looking for in terms of uh, payment processing or, or things like that? You know, we use this or we use that. Yeah. So, uh, so we, uh, we have a, a patented uh, uh, solution um, and there are lots of people out there copying uh, the, 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 the intent without copying the process, which is, which is very flatter, flattering for us. Yeah. Um, the, the, this mechanism of, of, uh, of transferring to you know, an IVR or a robocall to collect card data, to you know, even, even things like that, which are, are terrible journeys, start to uh, show the consumers that people are starting to take it seriously. Um, a real-time uh, DTMF solution like a semaphone um, really kind of uh, puts the icing on the, on the cake for me where you, know, you, you can see that the, the, the enterprise or, or, or business that you're working with, finance, healthcare, really has thought about they don't want this data in their contact centre. They really don't want to be handling card data unnecessarily. They're going to pass it to somebody who's you know, uh, vetted securely by third parties and uh, they want the results of the transactions, they want the money, but they don't want the data. I think, I think that's um, really, really important. Uh, I think um, uh, the, the, the call, the, I think the big problem where you're reading cardholder data out isn't necessarily always the agent, it's, it's, it's the call recorders at the back end. Um, most people will expect you to read out a credit card number and then the, the short code on the back of the CVV or the CV2 or the, or the four digit on the front of an Amex. Um, and, and, and the data standard is really clear. It says you shouldn't be collecting that. There's absolutely no reason why uh, you should collect that. However, if you've got call recording, then um, you, you tend to um, uh, record them accidentally uh, or, or inadvertently. And now you've got the full card data and you can do all sorts of wonderful things once you've got the full card data. Okay. Um, lots of people put in place kind of stopgap solutions to, to prevent that. They, they, it's called pause and resume or, the, or stop start call recording. Uh, the agent will, will trigger a, uh, a field to, 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 to notify the call recorder to stop, collect the card holder data and start it again. Um, but if you, uh, if you think about the amount of data that you might collect on a call, you could end up with you know, multiple holes in your call recording and then you've got no evidence to prove that you have or haven't missold something to the customer at a later point turn up to court with a call recording like that it's it's going to end badly for you yeah um so yeah it's 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 a real um it's a real real challenge and there's some stopgap solutions that people are putting in place thinking they're doing the right thing and, and just creating other other problems for themselves okay um so let's let's sort of tie everything up and put a big bow on top so what in your mind is the ideal combination of uh sort of privacy regulation software hardware modification social behavioral changes that would reduce contact center fraud to like a near zero um, so I, I obviously going, I'm going to talk about DTMF. I think I believe in it, and, and uh, I think that's that's a, that's a great uh, a great solution to have in place. Um, I uh, if, you, if you're preventing contact centers uh, contact centers from collecting data in the first place, then actually you're solving everything upstream. Uh, the example I, I, I give quite regularly is um, work at home agents. There's, there's a, a really big drive for enterprises with large contact centers and even small contact centers with uh, unsociable hours to host uh, agents at home. And the airport security that I talked about at the beginning, you've absolutely got no hope of trying to implement that at a thousand people's houses, mm -hmm. even trying to put CCTV in. Right. 
Right. Even if they've, you've put a, a kind of thin client on the desktop and secured the hard line, there's still someone that you've given full access to those systems yeah. um, to, to, to that place. So with these work at home agents, do you really want to be piping secure data to them? Do you really, the, 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 the challenge is as real as it is in an unsecured contact center that, that an enterprise might host. So using something like a DTMF solution would be really, really, really valuable. Um, I think the second point is whilst I've talked about the, the screens and the phones and the contact center agent and yep. the network, the other point is if you aren't popping all of this really, expen you know, really expensive to lose for your brand equity, you, your, your business reputation into your applications, which are then attacked um, from, a, from a, cyber, uh, a cyber criminal, Mm -hmm. um, or, or even, you know, with, with these Trojan viruses that uh, are, are, are encrypting them uh, with CryptoLock and uh, expecting Bitcoins to, to, to decrypt them. Um, you, you're, you're not handling that data at a business systems level as well. So um, I, think, uh, I think with the, with the kind of three uh, things, you know, the, the, the social um, uh, and the, 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 the physical and the uh, technological perimeters at play, a solution that, 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 that focuses on three, all three is, 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 is what you really should be looking for. Okay. Um, so to close things up, um, you know, it sounds like you have a, a very good solution for sort of present day um, issues, but do you see any uh, other sort of security issues on the horizon, you know, 2020 and beyond uh, that will, you know, require different solutions? Uh, like, you know, we're always sort of a couple steps behind hackers and, you know, hopefully eventually hope to, you know, be at pace with them. But, uh, yeah. Where do you where do you see these these issues going uh, in the future? This is that's, I mean that, that's that's what you've asked me is what's my job really here? Um, <laughs> so it's a great it's it's, it's a, I could spend a, an hour talking about this. I'll do my best to summarise. Okay. Um, absolutely yes. The uh, the challenge is changing. Um, mm -hmm. People are pushing to, um, uh, security perimeter back to people, back to people's own devices. Um, I think uh, Internet of Things is going to cause some some big challenges, and sure. until we have a, a, a general standard for hardware security modules on IoT devices, I think uh, the, the, then payments are going to be late coming to those devices until you, you're ready for your fridge to buy you your your milk. Um, so I think um, I, th I think there is a, there's huge amounts of uh, of change in the marketplace. I think uh, I think Bitcoin's got a huge um, you know, it's come out of the hype cycle and it's starting to have real, real world applications and they're starting to come to fruition now. Um, the, 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 the challenge that we have is that every, every time we add a payment type or payment uh, process to the, to the mix, we're not taking one away. Okay. So cash, cash is going nowhere, so you still have cash, cash crimes. Check hasn't been, hasn't been rescinded or, or deprecated, yep. and so you still have check fraud. Credit card data is still going to be flying around as is. So, uh, and people want to pay however they want to pay. And, and, and honestly, businesses will take their money however they can take them. And they want to take them securely. So that, that, that's kind of in a, in a nutshell, I think, a start to answer that question. Hmm. Um, so as we wrap up here, tell us about Semaphone's products and solutions. You've talked a little bit about it, but uh, for reducing contact center data breaches. Um, and if you're, you know, if our guests, uh, listeners want to learn more about Semaphone, where can they go? Yeah, so um, by all means, hop along to semaphone.com. It's S-E-M-A-F-O-N-E.com. Um, that's correct. Yep. Um, and uh, we've got some YouTube videos as well okay. uh, and some videos uh, down there. I think uh, the, the easiest way to explain it is um, you, you want to buy a policy if you're in insurance or, or healthcare and, and your customer and your customer has, has, has spent 40 minutes with you 
detailing four of them or five of their family members that they want coverage for. And at the end of the call, uh, historically, the agent would say, can you read out your credit card number? And, and, and so they do so. At that point, the agent could be uh, writing it down. There could be someone wiretapped in. Someone could be uh, scraping the call recording. And mm -hmm. um, the business system could be, could be attacked. The business network could be attacked. There could be a microphone uh, attached to the, to the headset. You know, the, the, the attacks just go on and on and on and on. Yeah. So our, our solution, we sit in, in either in the network or on premises or with your carrier. We've got lots and lots of different uh, solutions. And um, at the point of transaction, the agent triggers a, um, a, as we call it, secure mode. And we stop passing um, cardholder digits uh, down the lines. So, so when we ask them to type them in, we actually collect those up and we interact with your bank on your behalf or we, we transact in bar, on behalf of you to your tokenization vault for repeat payments for this kind of really, really neat Uber experience. And um, we pass those either back to the bank or we pass them back to the business if they need to do clever things with, with uh, repeat payments. Um, and the contact center agent doesn't see it, they don't hear it, the business systems don't touch it, it's not in the databases. Um, and uh, we do all that across the contact center. And then of course the contact center will have other, other ways to, to, to transact as well. So there'll be web chat solutions and face-to-face -face billing, paper billing. Um, so we, 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 we cover all of those with a variety of uh, techniques. All right, well, Ben Rafferty, thank you very much for joining us today. Very nice to speak to you. Thanks, Chris. And thank you all for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more on our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in CyberSpeak with InfoSec to check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. Just search CyberSpeak with InfoSec at your favorite podcast catcher. To see the current promotional off offers available for podcast listeners and to learn more about our InfoSec Pro Live Boot Camps, uh, InfoSec Skills On-Demand Training Library and InfoSec IQ Security Awareness and Training Programs, go to www.infosecinstitute.com slash podcast or click the link in the description below. Thanks once again to Ben Rafferty and thank you all for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week.